Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, uh, it follows up a whole chapter on faith and believing God. And when people, the people had faith and they believed God, then they did what God said. Uh, because this is the idea of faith, right? Knowing something to be true and then choosing personally to trust it. And so chapter 11 tells us about a bunch of people who did that. And then chapter 12 starts off with uh, saying, Therefore, seeing that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those, the witnesses, all these people who have said, God can be trusted and I can live that way. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. Can you resonate with that idea? Weights and sin that easily besets us, right? And this is, let's set this thing aside because we've got a race to run. And then it says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith and who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. So looking unto Jesus, we just sang that, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And, and here in Hebrews, it says, because of the, the need to set aside the sin and all that, we need to look to the Lord. So let's, let's make sure that right now we open our hearts up to the Lord. Uh, we talk about it whenever we're worshiping, that we start with surrender. And so we need to do that. That's going to help us to be able to grow with this information that we have. And as we grow, then we have something more to share with other people. So really, let's, let's, let's purpose right now. And let, me, let me pray again, okay? Father, we come to you now, and our desire is to be surrendered to you. And I say that, Lord, when sometimes we have contradiction of feelings and conflicts inside, but Lord, every person here who knows you as Savior deep down has a desire to be surrendered to you, to be fully yielded. And so I pray, Father, today that we would be alert to your, your Spirit's prompting in our hearts and minds and we would be genuinely open to whatever that is. And I pray, Father, that each of us right in this moment, if we haven't already, would determine now to say yes to you about anything you would show us or speak to us about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we started a three-part sermon series on sin. It's just kind of a parenthesis in our 1 Corinthians uh, study. Um, and we saw a couple of things. First, let's, let's just revisit a couple of things. One is what do we mean by sin when we're talking about sin? So go ahead there. So sins are any conscious actions or intentional thoughts that are contrary to what God has revealed as his will for us in Scripture, Scripture that's properly understood. We talked about that. Uh, go back just a minute uh, there, Lord. Thank you. And so uh, we said that there, there may be some technical sense in which we can commit sins that we aren't aware of. That's possible, and we don't know certain things. We could do that. But really, it's the ones that we know about that we are responsible for, right? The ones that we have to address. And so that's, a, you know, things that... We do choices we make. And by the way, uh, you know, when we talk about actions that we take, action can include inaction, right? In other words, it's something we do or don't do. It's an active kind of thing. We do something we know we ought not to do, or we don't do something we know we ought to do. 
uh, and then intentional thoughts. And, and so we'll, we'll talk about this a little more today, but the idea is it isn't just random thoughts that pop into your head that are sins. It's, it's what you, sometimes it's your response to that that's a sin. Or maybe other things where you, yeah, you purposely let your mind go places that you shouldn't go. Okay, those are, so that is sin. Remember, because Jesus laid this out very clearly for us in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, uh, you know, the Old Testament says, don't murder. Well, I've never done that. He said, you ever had any hatred in your heart toward anybody? He said, that's where murder starts, and that's, that's a sin. Oh, ooh. same thing with sexual sin, right? He says, you know, if you've thought it, you know, that's the, so, so we capture both of those, actions and thoughts that are contrary to what God has revealed in his word, okay? Or even to the point of that maybe God doesn't say something specifically about it, but in, as you're pursuing your relationship with the Lord and you're reading the word and all of a sudden it becomes clear to you that you need to do something, the Bible doesn't specifically say you need to do that thing, but it becomes very clear to you that you need to, or very clear that you ought not to, that at that point, that for you becomes what you need to obey, okay? Not go contrary, because God is, is showing you something there. All right, and then we ended the sermon last week thinking about sin. We talked about uh, that God determined what's sin based on what's good for us, what's best for us, okay? What is going to, and sometimes that's what's going to accomplish his purposes in the world, which is always what's best for us. All right. And so we had these two things. All that God put off limits and declared to be sinful are things that are not good for me. Man, if we could just settle that in our hearts. I, I think if we asked you that, I would say, do you agree with that first statement? We'd all go, what? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we act like we don't, right, from time to time. We act like something's better for us than what God has said. And so my best possible life lies within God's boundaries, not outside them in sin. That's always true. It's always true. It's what? Always true. And, and we have a lot of things that work against us in that. We have all the stuff that's come from our past. We were born sinful people. We lived in sin. We thought in sinful ways, even if we were little. I mean, all of this gets ingrained in us and to where... There's something within us often that even after we're saved and God has changed us, he's changed us deep down inside forever, we still have this leftover stuff that gets in the way and questions whether or not God's ways are really best. And I don't know about you, I don't think we consciously do that very often. Uh, I think we just kind of uh, just go with the flow, right? Wouldn't it be better if we started consciously thinking about this? Say, wait a minute. Is this what's really best for me? Well, what does God say? If we would slow down and look at it, I think we'd make a lot better choices lots of times. Okay. So, uh, those are the main things that uh, I wanted to bring forward for us from last week. Uh, and understand this, so this whole idea of sin, these problems that we have with sin, um, God has a solution for it. He does. Um, and it's Jesus. It's the Lord, the Son of God, coming into the world as a human being, living a perfect and sinless life, dying on the cross, 
taking the guilt for my sins, which are many, 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 and yours, and the sins of the whole world, rising again on the third day, as the scriptures say. And then uh, he says to us, if you will acknowledge that you have sinned against me, that you, you know, you are spiritually lost, you can't save yourself, you can't fix these problems, and you can't. Because how good do you have to be perfect? I answered my own question. How good do you have to be to make it to heaven on your own? Perfect. How many times do you have to sin to no longer be perfect? Okay. So I think we're all in trouble, right? By nature. And so uh, we acknowledge that. We can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. We can't be religious enough. We can't do enough religious deeds or good works or give enough money. There's not, nothing we do to fix it except admit that we have the problem and then as we sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look to the Lord and say, oh God, I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. I receive him as my savior. I'm putting my trust in him for the forgiveness of my sins and eternal life. And when we do that, good news, every sin is forgiven. Every sin we ever have committed or ever will commit, he died for them all. We have eternal life now, our destiny, when this life comes to an end. And by the way, let me just, you know, uh, encourage you. So talking with Everett Larson a few weeks, a month back, maybe, and talking to him about it and the fact that they, they realize, you know, I'm most likely going to die within, you know, by September. Could be longer, but most likely. And Everett said... Well, that's okay. We're going to be together again. I had a good life. I'm ready to go. Where does that come from? Knowing Jesus as your Savior. Right? What an amazing and blessed thing. So he, he knows his hope of eternal life. And then, as I've said many, many times, I say it again, and maybe I figure out another way to say it, but when we receive Christ as Savior, God himself moves in. And what was dead inside of us comes alive. Uh, in the core of our being, what we are most like, God is now there and he has changed us. And then all that other mess I talked about, God goes to work on that in our lives. And that's a long process, okay? But he's faithful to keep working. This week I remembered, I, I remembered this verse and wrote it down in my journal as I was talking with God, you know, uh, that our God is faithful. He started a good work in me and he's going to what? Complete it. And the same for you if you know Jesus as Savior. So that's the gospel. That's the good news. So what I want to do today is start off with some things that, that you and I need to understand and remember. Not just understand, but remember about sin as we go through. And the first one is this, that sin is always working to bring you under its control. Now, it almost sounds like we're personifying sin, doesn't it? Uh, well, in some ways it is. Next week, we're going to look at Romans chapter 7, and Paul kind of talks about it that way. But the idea is this, is that we tend to think that sin, um, you, you commit a sin and that's all there is to it. But it's not true. And because sin, how about the first time someone does cocaine? Not that you guys all know how that works. I'm not saying that. Some of you probably do. But the point is, ah, it's just the one thing. But then there's a what? It's pull. And it isn't long before that has 
control of the person, right? Well, this is what sin wants to do. And it started back. Remember how I said in the whole story of Adam and Eve that it never mentions the word sin? Well, the very first time sin is mentioned, it's just shortly after that. And this is after uh, Cain is all unhappy because God accepted Abel's offering, his brother's offering, but did not accept his. And, and Cain is all upset. And God gives him a warning. He talks about this. Hey, here's how things can work for you. But he says, you've got to understand. And go ahead and put this up. No, you already did. Watch out, he says. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. So the first time the word sin is used in the Bible is talking about watch out. It can take control of your life. And we need to remember that. that let's remember. So is there a difference between little sins and big sins? This is a little bit of a Walt trick question here. Okay. Well, it depends what we're talking about. If we're talking about being holy before God, no, there's no difference between sins. Big sins, little sins, it's all a violation of what God says, and he's a holy God, and that's, it doesn't belong. And, and so that's, you know, we don't compare sins to see who deserves to go to hell and who doesn't. That isn't the way it works. One is, you know, and we're way beyond that. Um, but when it comes to its consequences in the world, when it comes to its consequences in, if, if I sin in my life, and then how that affects other people. There are small sins and big sins, aren't there? Okay. Now we can make an argument. Let's say that, that for me, if you know, I'm feeling convicted, God has convicted me about the, how I eat and I need to eat healthy and I need to eat for right reasons and not because I, I used to, my dad and I used to joke together and, and say, I have an emotional eating problem. And it was true to it, but the idea is because if I'm sad, I eat. That's the way I, where I was, okay? But if I'm happy, I what? Eat. And if I'm bored and in between, what do I do? Eat. It's an emotional problem, right? Okay. But let's assume that, that, that you know, God says, you know, Walt, you need to take care of yourself, and so you can't keep going eating those donuts. Okay. Uh, if I eat a donut, big sin, little sin? You guys are afraid to answer that question. What's it going with this? I mean, in the overall scheme of things, it's a little sin if I eat that donut. Now, does it have any consequences? Yes, because at some point I might be leaving my wife and my children and my grandchildren early, you know, not because of one donut, but because of not dealing with the issue. But it's still a relatively small sin. What if I decide to steal all of the money in the church's bank account and go on vacation? Little sin, big sin. Because, man, who gets hurt by that? Everybody, so many people, the whole reputation, all that stuff, right? Big sin. So, um, why was I talking about that? I don't remember. But whether it's big sin or little sin, the idea is that it can come to control you. In fact, I would say what happens, it's the little sins that we allow that then begin to take control that bring us to the place where we take a bigger step of sin. And so let's just keep working. I want to be practical here and helpful to you. I've, I've used this illustration with you many, many times. Let's say that uh, here I am on, uh, I'm, I'm living for the Lord, I'm following him, doing the best to live by his word that I know how. And uh, over here, I shoot and kill somebody because I'm mad at him. 
Now, how do I get from here to there? I'm walking with the Lord. I'm trying to you know, follow his will. I'm not being an angry person. How do I then get over there? It's what? Just one step at a time. I'm angry and I, I rationalize it. I justify it. And I live with that anger. And that anger then impacts how I interpret the next thing. And I did. And I start to become an angry person. Right? And so somehow rather the idea is this, this last step when I move from not having shot someone and killed someone to having shot someone and killed someone. That seems like a huge step, doesn't it? But in reality, it's what? It's just the next step. And we could apply this to sexual sin. We could apply this to you know, people who steal. We could apply it to all kinds of things. We get from there one little step at a time. So what I'm trying to say, if the small sins, we think not a big deal. You know, it doesn't control me. But the reality is it does begin to control. And it begins to affect how you see things and affect the choices that you make. And boy, you end up, wait, what am I, how in the world did I get here? Okay. So uh, small sin, big sin. Sin does seek to control us. Second uh, truth is this, that sin is deceitful and damaging. Okay? It lies to us. Uh, when Jesus talks about Satan in John chapter 8, he's, he's talking about the spiritual father of those who were not only unsaved, but who were standing in opposition to Jesus. And he says, your father, the devil, was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Okay? He lied to Adam and Eve, and as a result, he took their, they ended up losing their spiritual life. They died because of it. A liar and a murderer from the beginning. Well, Satan wants us to sin. He does. Satan, his demons want us to sin. Those who serve him, even unknowingly, want us to sin. Um, and it's deceptive. So let's, let's put, yeah, the verses there. Exhort one another daily, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This deception. So, uh, last Saturday, not yesterday, the week before, I was playing in a disc golf tournament for old people. Okay? <laughs> it was, specifically for us. But there was a guy playing with us, and he was just a kind of a crack up, one of those guys, you know. Thing. But I wasn't having a good day. Okay, I mean, it just it wasn't going real well. And I, and I missed a silly little throw in. I should have got all this kind of stuff. And this is about if we played 14, 15 holes. And this guy comes up to me and he was serious. He says, he says maybe you ought to try cussing. Because <laughs> he's watched me the whole day. I don't get mad and throw things or curse or whatever. But he was, he was like three, four serious, right? <laughs> you need to. And I just said, well, I appreciate that. I said, but I don't think it's going to help. And that's a silly picture, but the idea is this deception, right? Lies come to you that, oh, this will help you, or this will work, or that. Satan is going to lie to you. He's going to tell you that what is good for you isn't, and what is good for you isn't good for you is. That's what he's going to do. And the end result of that is that you become hardened. That's a scary place to be. You know, anybody ever get callous on your hands for some reason, right? Well, in, in our normal lives, calluses might be a good thing because of what we're doing, right? It enables us to do what we need to do. 
but it also affects your sensitivity. I know if, you know if we talk to probably to Dave and to Joe and playing guitar, those things aren't real sensitive anymore, are they, Joe? No, his finger pads are not sensitive because they're calloused from playing guitar. Okay, and that, most time that doesn't matter, but if Joe really needed to be able to feel something and he couldn't because of those calluses work against him. Well, I want you to understand is this, that we get calluses on our soul. Sin causes calluses on our soul, which makes us less sensitive to sin, makes us less sensitive to the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, makes us less sensitive in many ways, hardens us. And that's not a good thing for us. Right? It's just not. It, it, in fact, it makes it harder to come back. You can. By God's grace, you surely can. But it's not as easy as you might think. Okay? So we want to remember, sin is deceitful and damaging. And then sin tugs at us from three different directions. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Page 1399 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to uh, pick up one of those and follow along. Page 1399, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. So let's just stop there. When he says the world, he's not talking about, I sit in my backyard as many mornings as I can on the deck and have my quiet time with God and all that. I love the creation. I love, you know, I, I write a list of the different birds and animals and all this kind of stuff I've seen. I love it when the squirrel doesn't know I'm there and he comes and stands right there and I go, <laughs> comes unglued. I mean, it's not that kind of thing talking about the world. He's talking about the world's ways as opposed to God's ways. It's the sinful part of the world that, that you know, comes to us and appeals to us. That's what he's talking about. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, this love of the world isn't coming from God in you. That's not God's love stirring up. That's something else going on. And then he describes what it is. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. All the things that we... Every time we do what God wants us to do, and we do it with right attitudes, guess how long that's significant for? From now on. Forever stuff. Okay? If you want to accomplish things that are eternally significant, you've got to live God's way. Okay? And you've got to stay away from the sin. And so, you know, there's another reason, you know, we say it's, it's, it's God's best. Another reason we say when you sin, you have lost eternal opportunities. You've lost those opportunities. And so we don't want to do that. So let's talk about this passage. He says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then he says the pride of life. But this word lust comes from a Greek word, epithumia, and it's a, it comes from a word thumos and then epi on the front. Uh, thumos is the idea of just passion. Deep passion, strong feelings. Epi is, 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 communicates the idea of focusing on or building on top of that. Okay? And so this idea is passion. It's built on strong feelings or urges. Passionate desires. That's what that word translated lust means. Now, the interesting thing about this word, it's not always translated lust. It can be something good. These desires can be good. They aren't necessarily bad when this word is used. 
So let's look here an example of that. In Philippians 1.23, Paul says, having a desire to, part, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Same word. How much do you think Paul wanted to go to be with the Lord? See, that's he uses this word, okay? And then talk, Paul talking about wanting to see the Thessalonians, he says, whoop, do a little too far there. He says, but we endeavored more eagerly to see your face. We wanted to see you with great desire. Same word. And so we get this idea. We have desires for really awesome things, good things, and we just desire them. But I want you to think, take that same kind of desire, that same kind of strength of passion, but focus it on something not good, not right. And, and more often than not, then that word gets translated lust at that point. We usually think of lust as being sexual in nature. It may be, but it isn't exclusive to that at all. Okay, it's anything that you have that kind of passionate desire. It can be a passionate desire toward feeling important or feeling safe. I mean, it can be all sorts of things. All right. So sin tugs at us from these three directions. First is lust of the flesh. And that's those natural, physical desires that we have. We have a desire to eat, right? That's a pretty strong desire for us, right? We have a desire to sleep, pretty strong desire for us. We have a desire to feel pleasure in our bodies. And that can come from many, many different directions, all right? So when he talks about, he's talking about lust of the flesh. It's not those things in a natural way. Is it okay to be hungry? Sure it is. Is it okay to uh, uh, want to sleep? Yeah. Is it uh, okay to desire to feel pleasure? Of course it is, right? But he's talking about lust in this context, that this is a passionate desire that begins to control you. And we're going to see it's going to control you in a way. Remember the definition of sin? Contrary to what God's revealed will is for us. So when it's contrary to that, then it becomes this idea. And that's what we talk about, the lust of the flesh, natural desires. Then he says the lust of the eyes. And this is the idea of what you see, what you look at. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have this problem, but if I had the lust of the eyes for cars, I mean, I look at some cars, and, and I've even entered drawings to try to win some cars and all this kind of stuff. But if I looked at, and saw that car and said, you know what? If I stopped giving, I could afford that car, right? It's just now we're talking about lust of the eyes, aren't we? And by the way, lust of the eyes isn't just what you see, it's what you see in your mind too, okay? It could be anything that you're seeing and envisioning and thinking, oh boy, and you're considering going against what God says to interact with that or have it. And then finally, pride of life. This is when life is about you. Okay, life is about me if I have this pride of life issue. Uh, it's, it's about everything that you know, I do is about what I want, about how important I am. Uh, I think you get the idea, right? Okay, it's, it's those kinds of things. And that might be where I want to feel important. And we'll talk some more. But anyway, I want to see about this. So lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. This has, just like Satan was a liar from the very beginning, this is the way he went after Adam and Eve. Same way. Okay, so let's look at this. What they saw that the tree, when, about Eve, when she saw that the tree was good for food, what, what, what desire is that appealing to? The flesh, right? Okay. She saw that it was pleasant to the 
eyes. This looks good. Oh, I would like to have that. And a tree desirable to make one wise. Pride of life. You see, from the very beginning. And they didn't have a sin nature. <laughs> and, but this is Satan. So how much more are you and I at risk? That we were born with a sin nature and we have all that leftover stuff in our lives. Okay, So we are potentially susceptible to us. So these three areas. And I think if you look at your life and start thinking areas that you think, yeah, this is sin or this may be sin. If you look at it, you can connect it with one or more of these things. Okay, So that can help you to start to recognize. Now, let's go to James chapter 1. I want to show you how this process works. Page 1387 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. James chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 13. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So when we are tempted, we cannot blame it on God, right? Not God's fault. It's us. Well, how does that work? Well, here he's going to tell us. He says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived about sin and how it will work in your life. So, let's... Take a look at a diagram I put together to help us envision what he's talking about here. And so this is about a downward progression into sin. So we all have natural desires, okay? Go ahead and go to that if you would, right? We all have natural desires. We've already established that those are not sinful in and of themselves, true? They just aren't. They're just desires. That's all they are. Um, but Paul, Paul, James here says that we are tempted when those natural desires we have begin to draw us, what's the next word? Away. Okay? Away from what is good and right. And so here's the picture. The idea is we have these natural desires and then we sense something drawing us to fulfill those desires in ways that are contrary to what God has revealed as his will for us. Is this making sense? Tracking with that? Okay, whatever it would be, whether this is uh, food, money, relationships, sex, whatever it is, there's this drawing. Have we sinned yet? Not necessarily, okay? Because the idea is this just happens to us. We are humans, we live in a sin cursed world, and as we can see, like I said, next week in Romans chapter 7, how this all works. But yes, so being drawn away happens to us. It's not something we are choosing. But what we need to do is recognize this. Wait a minute, I'm being drawn away to something that is contrary to what God says. And realize it there. Now, he says the next step in this process that happens, we're being drawn away, is that we are enticed. And it's hard to, uh, it's to, for me to put into words what enticement is, but I, I envision it. It's like this. Come here. Right? Some sort of enticement. 
It could be visual, it could be audible, it could be uh, just in your own mind. It could be all of those things. Uh, but we are enticed. In other words, something is appealing to our desires and saying, come satisfy this desire. You, this is what's good for you. Now, what do we know about this, though? It's what? Contrary to what God has said. So at that point, actually, I'll hold on to that. I'll just work through this here. We'll get back to this. All right, so, and then he says, then when sin is conceived. Go ahead, there. And we know the idea of conception, right? We get this visual, right, of conception. And once conception has occurred, birth is occurring, right? How many, I remember, I think about it, and I just can't imagine this. I can't imagine being pregnant. That's probably a good thing, right? I can't imagine I'm pregnant and I'm getting bigger. It's so exciting. The babies come, but wait a minute. I got to go through labor. What is up with this? I, it's coming, right? If you ladies ever feel like it's coming whether I want it to or not, right? Okay, it's coming. And that's what happens with this. And so sin is conceived and then we give birth to sin. Go ahead there, yeah. And the end result of that is death. Now, it doesn't mean you die. Physically, we've already seen that kind of thing happen in Scripture, but what it does mean is that everything that flows out of sin is not something that's flowing out of the life of God, but it's flowing out of the corrupt nature of sin, which is death and ugliness and suffering and all that kind of thing. And so that's what it produces in our lives. Now, what I want you to see is where is it that we are tempted? So go to that next one. We are tempted up here in these two areas, aren't we? It's too late once we get there. So we are tempted when we are drawn away by our natural desires and we are tempted when we feel enticed. So go ahead to the next slide there. This is what we need to focus in on because this is where we can fight the battle. And I put the slope here as, as well because the farther you get on the slope, it's, it's what? <laughs> Hard to recover, okay? And that's why we see once we get into... Uh, the conception of sin, we aren't recovering from that. We are sinning, going to sin. All right, so let's talk about these things here a little bit. All right, so natural desires. We find ourselves drawn away. Um, let me just, I'll just use this one and, um, because it's so prevalent for us in our society, and that is, is the sexual desires. And temptations, okay? Because our society is highly sexualized now, isn't it? I mean, it is so much, and the things that people even say and believe about it are so messed up, um, and it's in our face all the time. If you're going to live in this world, you're going to be confronted with sex that's uh, enticing to people. And it's, that's why it's used. That's why it's there. Okay, so drawn away. Here we are. Let's use this progression across the thing here. It's normal to have sexual desires. It's no, normal to notice sexual things. It's normal, all those kinds of things. But when we see those things or, or feel like, oh, we're being drawn, what do we need to remember? Go ahead, and that's the next thing. That is what? We need to identify. Is this contrary to what God's revealed will is to us, right? So in my marriage, if I'm feeling drawn away and my wife and I are there and if we are connecting, right? Maybe there's freedom there. But if it's anything else, then it's contrary to what God says. I need to recognize this. Let me ask you, how important then is it for you to know what God says about things? It is crucial. 
This is why you need to be a regular, ongoing student of Scripture. You know, be in it, learning to see what it says, what it thinks. And when you don't do this, you are more vulnerable because you don't are as quick, you aren't as quick to recognize when something is contrary to what God says. All right. And so we realize this, and then we step back and say, oh, no, no, I'm not going there. And then we're back to where we ought to be. We didn't pursue that. Okay? We respond to God instead of to letting our desires continue to draw us away. It doesn't mean the desires go away. And by the way, it doesn't mean the drawing doesn't go away. We may go back and forth and back and forth sometimes. Sometimes we really feel that struggle. By the way, I think the more times that we actually choose to trust God and step back, then it gets less of this over here. Do you know what I mean? It's still going to happen, but it can become less for us. All right, so this is one thing. But now, if we aren't careful, sometimes we're drawn away and we haven't really got caught up to it yet in our mind, and then an enticement occurs. And what do we need to know? We need to know that this is what? Contrary to what God has said. We see the enticement for what it is. Um, in my life, in, in the last, oh, I don't know, five years, maybe, I have, with God, started to, and it's, it's, it's really encouraging, helpful, but to notice enticements and to really be sensitive to see that's what it is. And even sometimes, it's even way back here in the natural desires, I have nothing wrong at all, but all of a sudden, I see something, I think something, I hear something, I read something, whatever, and all of a sudden I feel drawn towards something that isn't God's way. And I've recognized that, learning to recognize it. Because guess when? Guess when it's easiest to say yes to God and no to sin? The very moment that you recognize it. That is the easiest time. The longer you wait to deal with it, the harder it gets. Okay. So, but even so, we're running through life, we're busy, we're drawn away, okay, I am, but all of a sudden there's an enticement. And I, I have to and you have to see that this is contrary to what God has revealed. So I don't want to do that, so instead I say no to that and I go back to my natural desires. The way I'm, I'm saying no and I'm getting back to where I'm supposed to be. Now you're still tracking with this, do you feel like? If you're not, please be sure and talk to me afterwards. I'd like to help you with this. So this is the idea of fighting this battle here. Okay, here I am. I'm being drawn away, and I recognize it. Wait, okay, wait a minute. I can't, I'm not going to go against God here. I'm going to step back from that. Like I said, I may struggle with this here, but there may be times I find myself here, and the enticement occurs, and here I am with an enticement. Whoa. God, I, I don't, I'm not going to go this is against what you've said, and I, I know it's bad for me. It's not what's best for me. Satan's telling me that this is good and it's not. And so they say, okay, God. And then I step back and come back to here. And this is where we need to fight this battle. And whatever the issue is for you, this is where you need to fight it. Because if you don't fight it here, where do we end up? Way down the line. With this drawn away and enticement, drawn away, and sin, enticement, and on, on and on it goes. Because here's what we have to, why we have to quickly Step back from that's because once sin is conceived, it's given birth. You're going to sin. In fact, I would say at that point you may already have sinned because you 
didn't make some decisions you knew to make, okay? All right, so how do we handle this? What do we do in our lives? So let's go to the next slide there. This whole idea of natural desires and being drawn away, Paul says that we should present our bodies to God. God, this body is yours. It's not mine. I'm living in it. You've loaned it to me. My body is for you. And it says that you present it holy and acceptable to God. Okay? Uh, and then, so we feel that drawn away, and we notice it's contrary to what God has revealed in his will. This is why I say we've got to be in the word, because it's there that we let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will. And you can recognize God's will, and then you'll go, hmm, this is not God's will. This is contrary to what God says. But see, God is changing you. This is a proactive approach to not sinning. We'll talk more about that next week as well. Okay? And then uh, next scripture, Romans, or two scriptures, 13, 14. This idea and this enticement, we find ourselves being enticed contrary to what God has revealed. Some things that need to be going on. First, we need to be making no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Make provision. So here's the thing. If I find myself feeling drawn, my desires feeling drawn towards something, and I go, huh. And I said, wonder what's on Netflix. And I start looking at all the things I can watch on Netflix. Includes, you think there's plenty of stuff on Netflix I ought not watch? What am I doing? I'm providing an opportunity for the flesh to pull at me and to draw me in and to entice me. And so we got to not do those kinds of things. Don't make provision. Don't put yourself in situations where you have a high likelihood of failure. Don't do that. And by the way, you know, this is a thought. People find themselves involved in all kinds of sinful situations that they never thought they would have been in. How in the world did I get here? Well, here's the deal. You know, it's like if, if you have an animal that needs to be kept in a cage and you let the animal out, it goes where? Who knows where? And so guess what in our own lives? If we have these natural desires that need to be kept where they belong, and if we let them out, they can go all sorts of places that we never expected that they would go. Okay. By the way, we're all capable of that. Okay. All right. And then another thing. No, go back, uh, Eduardo. This idea, whatever is not of faith is sin. And that comes where Paul's talking about, you know, what do we do about decisions that God doesn't specifically say anything about? And he says we need to make decisions on the basis of faith. In other words, this comes from God. God, because of you and my relationship with you, what you say is true, what your goals and purposes are in my life, I believe you want me to do this or not do this, or whatever. And so our decisions need to be based then on our faith relationship with God. And so when we are being drawn away and we're being enticed towards sin, I better, I gotta make a decision that comes from God. And the example I used for you, being drawn away in my own desires, I make provision for the flesh by, by checking out what's on Netflix, what can I watch on Netflix? And I said, wait a minute. No, 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 I need to make my, I'm feeling drawn away. What would be a faith decision here? 
I would trust God that his ways are best. I would trust God and do what he says. I'm not going to believe the lie. See, we're making decisions, and that will help us to avoid the enticement or to pull back from when we're being enticed. And then finally here, go ahead, 2 Timothy. He says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Well, I'm not youthful anymore, so I'm all set. No, but my lusts are youthful, <laughs> right? Same kinds of things were pulling at me when I was young. Okay, and he says, when you find yourself confronted with that, do what? Run away, get away, turn the TV off, shut the computer down, go somewhere else, whatever needs to happen. Okay, you're, you're choosing not to make provision for the flesh. You are running away from those things that are, you, you know you are at risk for. And he says you need to fill it up with something else. Instead, instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And so it's about, okay, I need to focus on living for the Lord here. I need to focus on my relationship with God. I need to do that. And I know that I need to do this with other people, not just me. I need to be with other people. That's the instead, right? Okay? Instead of messing with the lust stuff, no, I got to live this way. No, instead of messing with the lust stuff, I got to get with people who love God and who can help me. All right, and so we end up with this. This is where we want to be. We want to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What a wonderful promise. Walk in the Spirit. So, what do we want to focus on? Not sinning? You know, focus on the sin. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. No, No, focus on walking in the Spirit. What does that mean? That means being in the Word, listening to what God says, trusting Him, responding to His promptings, all the things we've talked about how to do these. Those are walking in the Spirit. And that will enable us to when we, those times when we feel, whoa, I'm being drawn away, that we catch that and realize it for what it is and we respond differently. Or if we find ourselves being enticed, we respond differently. But the idea is we don't walk in the lust of the flesh. And that's so good news. All right, two things I want to leave you with here today. The first one is this. Be alert to the downward progression of sin so you can see it and stop it. Be alert to this in your life. Start to see what's happening in your life. And, and this is how growth occurs. You're going to find yourself Having committed sin, saying, what in the world did I do? And I want you to think about, okay, that's right. Here's how I got here. Here's how I got here. And then what will happen is after you work on that for a while, in the middle of this whole thing, maybe it's still too late. You know, sin is now conceived, but you're going, oh, I see what's happening. And here you are. But eventually what will happen is you learn and think this way, walk in the Spirit. All of a sudden, one day, you're going to start here and go, wait a minute. No, no, no. No, no, no. Okay, so be alert to this idea. What's going on in your life? Don't just ignore it. Pay attention to how you get in the messes you get into. And then second thing, learn to fight the battle against sin where you can win it. Okay, you can't win it if you stick around with drawn away desires and enticements. I mean, that will eventually get you. But you can say no to that drawing away. You can recognize the enticement and go, wait a minute, and run from it and fill, fill your life with other things it needs to be, okay? So there's a bunch of still important concepts for us to understand, and we're going to pick those up next week, okay? 
All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and that you teach us these things about how we get into the messes we get into, how we sin against you, what it means in our lives. And Lord, you show us how not to. I pray that this week we would purposefully, even this day, Lord, we would purposefully think about our lives. Try to become alert to when those natural desires that we have, we start feeling drawn away from what's good and right. Help us to see that, Lord, and right then and there to deal with it. And Lord, if, if we if get past it to being enticed, please help us to see the enticement immediately for what it is and to, to run from it, Lord, and pull back to you. So I pray, Lord, you help us with this, that we can do a better job of honoring and glorifying you in our lives, that we really believe that your ways are best for us. And Lord, that as we do that, you'll change our lives in a way which will be an awesome testimony for you to others. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.